Uh, all right. So, uh, if you anybody want to take a guess, all right, let's let's reel it in here, fellas, uh, on where we're gonna land tonight. Jonah in the water. All right, Jonah. All right, Jonah is a pretty familiar story. If, even if you're uh, not really been around church much, a lot of people talk about Jonah and the fish. Which we're going to talk about the fish whale debate here in just a little bit. But, uh, like I said, we're going to look at this story. And it's oftentimes a story uh, that we kind of miss the point of. You know, we know the pictures of, that we see, you know, whenever we're kids. The big whale swallowing Jonah in the ocean and all this stuff. But I want us to understand from the start as we look at Jonah. And listen in tonight, guys, and really focus and pay attention is what I want you all to do. So, that the story of Jonah, it's not about the whale. It's not even about Jonah. It's all about God and how God is a God of second chances. That He is a God of second chances. So we're going to look at the story of Jonah. And kind of I want you to look through it maybe through fresh eyes tonight that you maybe have never thought about looking at this story you've probably heard your entire life uh, if you've ever been in church. So Jonah chapter 1. Jonah's only four chapters long, but we're just going to look at some verses from chapter 1 tonight. But the first five verses is where we're going to start to begin. So Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. God's word says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. All right, so if you take notes, just a few things tonight. We're going to have like a few points and then we're going to like one, two, three, and then we're going to have maybe like ABC, if you say that. Like boom, 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 and then another boom, boom, boom. But we'll kind of work through them pretty quick. But the first thing we see from Jonah that I want us to understand tonight is if we look at the story, is that Jonah despised this town called Nineveh. Now, God had told him to go there. Uh, and if we had been alive uh, in Jonah's time, we probably would have despised, or at the very least, we would have probably tried our best to avoid this city called Nineveh. You're probably like, okay, what's so bad about Nineveh? It did say that it was an evil city, so I mean, what does that exactly mean? Well, get this. The city of Nineveh was ruled by the Assyrians, all right? So anybody learned about the Assyrians in school and history, maybe? All right, the Assyrians uh, were not exactly the nicest people on the planet. So check what they would do, uh, especially here in Nineveh. What they would do is they would do some brutal tactics to their enemies or people that tried to come in from other lands, and they were pretty proud of what they would do. They would beat people to death, like brutally beat people. And then, while they were still alive and beaten half to death, they would skin people alive and take their skin and hang the person's skin like a pelt on the city walls. So, not to get too graphic with you, but they were some pretty brutal people. Um, They weren't exactly looking out for the best interest of other people. Uh, They didn't exactly like the Jewish people, which Jonah was a Jewish person. Uh, so kind of think of it in this way. They, they did not like other people that coming into their place. They did not like the Jewish people. It's kind of almost like, they're almost like the Nazis back in the 40s during World War II. It'd be like, think about it like this. Like Jonah's being told to go to Nineveh would be like if a, a Jewish person was told to go to the Nazi Germany and preach 
God's word to the Nazis. You know, he's walking into dangerous territory. Not exactly friendly, a friendly place to go into or where you would volunteer to go. And you see here that Jonah, he did not want to go preach to the people of Nineveh. Uh, he, he, in a way, thought that you know they were beyond God's forgiveness. They didn't deserve God's grace. And we're going to look a little bit more at that in just a minute. But the thing about it is, is like if we had been in his shoes, we probably wouldn't have wanted to go either, right? Just knowing the circumstances, knowing what that city was known for. So we see he despises Nineveh. The next thing we see about Jonah is that he disregards God's plan. He disregarded God's plan here. But God told him, hey, go to this city of Nineveh, preach against it, preach the truth to them. Lay out what, what I have to say to them. And Jonah disregards and disobeys God. And his disregard and disobedience serves as a great reminder to us that our sin, get this, our sin affects not only us, but the people around us as well. So what do you mean? Well, think about it. We try to isolate our sin, and we like to think, well, my, it's my sin, so it's, it's only my problem. It's only going to affect me, right? But that's never the case with sin. That's never how sin works. Our sin goes further than we could ever imagine, and it ends up affecting those around us. You see, in Jonah's case, he had run from the Lord, and his sin had caused this great storm to come upon the sea, and these guys that are in the boat with him are being affected by this storm. If you go down to verse 12 through 17 here in the first chapter of Jonah, it even talks more about it. So they're basically saying, hey, Jonah, what's going on? We're trying to figure out why does this storm come upon us? And he's like, hey, it's me. And then in verse 12, he says, Pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I am to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by a great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah has realized this storm was happening because of his disobedience to God. God told him to go this way. He ran that way. He said, hey, go to Nineveh. He said, no, I'm going to this place called Tarshish. I'm going to run away from you, God. And because of this sin... And disobedience, disobedience, this storm's come. And he says, hey guys, I know what to do. Just chuck me overboard, chuck me out into the ocean, and it'll calm down for you. And it does. And immediately after they throw him into the water, uh, what is it that happens? It calms down, and then what happens? All right, the, the great fish was appointed by God. It even says it there in verse 17. The Lord appointed a great fish. I don't think we need to gloss over that, that God appointed... And God is sovereign even over animals. You say, well, no, God's over everything. He's sovereign. He can appoint animals to do what he wants because he's in control of everything. That's what sovereignty means. He causes this fish to come and swallow Jonah. Now, this is where things get interesting for most people when it comes to the story of Jonah, right? A lot of speculation about, well, what exactly was it that Jonah got swallowed by? Well, was it was it a whale? You know, that's kind of how the picture's painted, right? You see a lot of pictures. You the picture I had up here a minute ago. It looked like a whale swallowed him. Uh, could it have been a shark? Ooh, I doubt it, because shark, you know, they have the sharp teeth, and I don't know that you'd really get to it, but some people think it may be a shark. Or could it have been uh, the hybrid word whale shark? Have y'all seen whale sharks? Maybe it was a whale shark. I don't know. But uh, the thing is, is the, sea, the way that this word in Hebrew, so if you read Jonah, you know, that it was written in Hebrew, 
the word for that's used here for this, uh, we use the word big fish or great fish. In Hebrew, it means sea monster. Now, I don't know that it's like the Loch Ness monster or something like that. That's not necessarily the same, but it's a type of sea monster. So it's kind of a vague term. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, throughout time have a tough time believing this story. Like, okay, can, can a person really survive inside the belly of a fish? I mean, come on. Uh, but what if I told you, check this out, that there are some stories, some stories of modern day Jonah's that got swallowed by sea creatures and lived to tell the tale. I actually found two as I was looking through this. Check this out. So there's this man by the name of, by the name of James Bartley, and in the year 1899, off the coast of South America, he was swallowed by a sperm whale and found 36 hours later unconscious in the whale's stomach. Uh, so they actually got the whale, they harpooned it, brought it on land, and as they were cutting up, 30, it was 36 hours later, they cut open the stomach of the whale, not to get too graphic again, I'm kind of graphic with the skins and how gutting whales and stuff, but uh, the sto- they open this whale up, open its stomach up, and they find him still alive, but unconscious in the, whale of this, in the stomach of this whale. Uh, and actually, it's kind of funny, this guy, he died about 18 years after this, and his tombstone is in the city of Glock. Excuse me, uh, Gloucester, England, and his headstone on his grave says James Bartley, a modern day Jonah. That's what's on his headstone. So that's one example. Uh, and then there's this uh, other example, Dr. Harry Rimmer. Uh, he was actually an evangelist and a pastor uh, from England, and he tells a story. He talked with another man that this happened to in England, and here's a quote from this pastor. He said, I personally met a sailor who fell overboard from a trawler in the English Channel and was swallowed by a gigantic whale shark. The entire trawler fleet set out to hunt the shark down, and 48 hours after the incident, the shark was sighted and slain with a one-pound deck gun. The carcass was too heavy for the ship's winches to handle, so the crew towed it to shore, intending to give their friend a Christian burial. When the shark was opened, the man was found unconscious but alive. He was rushed to the hospital, where he was found to be suffering from shock alone and was later discharged. He was on an exhibit in London Museum at a shilling's admission and was advertised as the Jonah of the 20th century. So there's some similar stories of things where people have actually somehow survived uh, in the stomach of sea creatures, if you will. So, but the point being, regardless of all that, regardless of what kind of fish or what, what kind of whale it was that swallowed Jonah, we don't need to miss the main point of Jonah's story. And that being that this was a miraculous work that God appointed to happen to get Jonah's attention. He was trying to get Jonah's attention because, remember, Jonah had blatantly disregarded God's call. God had told him to do this. He said, nope, I'm going to do that. And God said, hey, guess what, big boy? I'm going to get your attention. You're spending the night in a whale's belly for a few days. And it also serves as a great reminder that this, that God can and he will use anything. And he can and will use everything, even, like I said, a fish, to get us back on track. If God's called us to something, he can and will use anything and everything to get us back. So Jonah despised Nineveh. He disregards God's plan. And the final thing I want us to understand from tonight is this, is that um, there's something far bigger going on here. It's not just about, hey, Jonah didn't want to go, and he wound up in a fish. There's something far bigger going on in the story of Jonah. And at the story of Jonah, it's not about Jonah. It's not about a whale. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus Christ. And the story of Jonah is actually a foreshadowing of Christ to come in the New Testament. 
which rolls into the third thing is that Jonah displays Jesus. The story of Jonah is a display, it is a parallel to the story of Jesus coming as the Messiah. You see, the book of the story of Jonah, it's, like I said, it's all about God. It's all about God, and it's about Christ at the center of it. Case in point, think about this. The word uh, fish, or great fish, is used four times in the book of Jonah. The word, or the name, Jonah, Jonah's name, is used 18 times. So we got four times fish, 18 times Jonah. Anybody want to guess how many times God's name is used in the book of Jonah? 33. Pretty close, Drew. It's 38. Oh, I just... You said 37. I said 38. Ike was one closer. So 38 times God's name, or it says the Lord... Or God's name is used. So this story is not just about Jonah. It's not primarily about Jonah or a whale. It's about God. And this story points to God and the coming Savior Christ, like I just said a minute ago. There's all these parallels, get this, between Jonah and Jesus in this story. You say, what do you mean by parallels? It's like this happened, and then you see something happening in the New Testament in the life of Jesus that goes right alongside it. Just a few. So, anybody remember what Jonah is doing when he gets on the boat with the dudes? You got paying attention? He's, all right, he was supposed to go to Nineveh, but he gets on the boat and goes opposite direction. He took river. a big sleep. All right, he took a nap. Yeah. All right, who else in the Bible took a nap in the bottom of a Jesus. boat during a storm? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Remember, remember his disciples, they're all freaking out. Jesus, don't you care about us? We're all going to die. Jesus is down on the bottom. What's up, fellas? I'm taking a nap. And they had to wake him up. And he's like, you have little faith. He's like, be What's still. Boom, the storm. All right. Then Jonah, get this, he volunteers to be thrown into the sea to save others, Jesus voluntarily lays his life down. Remember, he says, hey, nobody takes my life of my, of, from me. I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus volunteered and laid his life down for us to save us from sin and death. And then, how many nights did, did Jonah spend in the well? All right, who else was kind of in a tomb? Oh, there we go. Jesus was in the tomb for three days. So it's just a few parallels there. Now, some skeptics, and maybe even you, I don't know. But some skeptical people are like, you know, this whole story about Jonah in the Bible, it's a fable, it's made up, it's a myth, uh, it's not real. A person can't really survive three days inside the belly of a fish. Come on now, that, that just can't happen. You hear people maybe say that, maybe uh, you know some friends or family members, maybe you've seen things on the internet, you know, whatever it may be. Well, then why does Jesus, get this, why does Jesus himself validate Jonah's story in the New Testament? Well, if you go over to Matthew chapter 12, Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and 40, Jesus, God in the flesh, Jesus lays it out that this story of Jonah is not just some myth. It's not just some fable. This is something that actually happened. And Jesus uses this as an illustration. In Matthew 12, 39 and 40, so what is going on is Jesus is being uh, tested. He's being questioned by the religious leaders, and he's basically fed up with them. He's basically saying at this point, he's like, hey guys, I've done all I can do, and you just ain't going to listen to me. And actually, if you read Matthew, at this point, it's kind of a shift in Jesus' ministry. But in Matthew 12, verses 39 and 40, Jesus says this. He says, he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. So, 
basically he's saying, hey, just like Jonah was in the fish, in the belly of the fish, three days, three nights, uh, I'm going to be, he says, the heart of the earth, basically meaning I'm going to die and go into the tomb three days, three nights. So Jesus is saying, hey, this whole story about Jonah, it's not just something that's made up, that he's validating Jonah's story. That the only other sign you're going to get from him is what Jesus said. The only other sign is because he rejected all the other ones. Remember, Jesus has done all these miracles. He's done all these healings. He's done all these teachings. And they're like, eh, we don't know about you. You know what? We actually think you're of the devil. And Jesus is like, how can I be of the devil? If I'm of the devil, I'd be against myself. This don't make no sense. And he says, hey, you've rejected all these signs. I'm only going to do one more, and that's going to be when I rise from the grave. But I'm going to be resurrected. Jesus calls back the resurrection, in a sense, to Jonah, who was, in a sense, resurrected three days later, being thrown up. It says in Scripture that he was vomited out by the fish. But So we've looked at the story of Jonah. So we understand these connections between Jonah and Jesus, all this stuff. And you're probably thinking, okay, it's kind of a cool story. You know, the fish, Jonah, we get it. Jonah didn't pay attention. So what does this actually mean for me? How can I apply the story of Jonah to my life? Beyond just, hey, listen to God. Like, what's, what's that really mean? Well, let's kind of dig a little deeper beyond the surface on what God is saying, what God is wanting us to take away from Jonah's story as we apply it to our life as modern believers. So, like I said, that's the first three points. i got three quick ones. I'll go a little quicker on these. But the first thing I want us to understand, like a kind of a walking point for us is this, is that simple obedience is always better than great intentions. See, simple obedience is better than great intentions. See, see Jonah, he was this prophet, and he probably had these great intentions. He had these great plans. Hey, I'm going to do all this for God. I'm going to be this great big prophet. And God says, hey, go do this. And he's like, no. Uh, he's disobedient. He's like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to be this great prophet. Nineveh, really? I ain't doing that. I'm above that. But walking in obedience to the Lord every day, and hear me out, walking in obedience is far better than just having good intentions for something down the road or years into the future. Where you might be saying, well, yes, you know, I'll, I'll serve God when this happens. Or I'll get serious about my faith whenever I'm this old. Or I'll, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do while I'm in middle school and high school. And, you know, when I get married or I go to college, uh, then I'll go all in for Jesus. Then I'll get real serious about my faith. But God desires, get this, immediate daily obedience for all of us. Not, not great plans for the future. But he wants obedience. That's why in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15, Samuel says, Obedience is better than sacrifice. You see, all the people are saying, we can just keep sacrificing. We can just keep doing all these sacrifices. That'll please God. And he's saying, no. God doesn't want all these like, animals to just be slaughtered. And you just keep doing what you want to do and then cut an animal up. Obedience. He wants you to obey. And it's the same for us today. God's not looking for great intentions or great plans. He's looking for believers that are just going to walk in steps of obedience every single day. Not this great big thing. Now, God may want to do great things and big things at some point in your life, maybe even now. But it starts with just daily consistent obedience in the small things. It's all about day in simple obedience to our Lord and to our King. So I want you to think in your own life. Just think to yourself, what, what step of obedience is God maybe calling you to right now? That, that thing you just keep delaying. That step of obedience you just keep putting off. You think, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. I don't want to actually talk to that person. I, I don't want to actually go be Jesus to this person. 
I don't really actually want to be serious to that point. But see, God's looking. He's wanting simple obedience. See, that's what he wanted from Jonah. He said, I mean, it's bla- he says, hey, Jonah, here's what I want you to go. Maybe God's telling you to go do something. And you're just like, nope, I'm going to go the opposite direction. I don't like that. And you see, if you're not going to be obedient in the little things, you'll never be obedient in the big things. So if you're not going to be obedient in the small things of life, you're never going to be obedient when the bigger things come. So we see that, that obedience is always better than just intentions. And then the next thing we see from Jonah is this, is that surrender is better than being stubborn. Surrender is better than being stubborn. See, Jonah is a stubborn guy. If you read the full book of Jonah, we're not going to go through all of it, but if you're reading it this week in our reading plan, Jonah was a prideful, stubborn dude. He really was. He was kind of a crybaby. He really just had a bad attitude, like Jonah did. Even at the end of the book, after everything happens, and he finally goes to Nineveh, he's still just whining. But anyway, but Jonah was stubborn to go and do what God had called him to in the first place. And he said he thought Nineveh was beyond him, and the TV just went off. Uh, and that God's grace, you know, Oh, dude. He's going crazy. Computer's possessed. Yeah. It's doing a bunch of stupid stuff over did, here. Did Jonah have a pet crab? Because one of those shows had a hidden pet crab. No, I don't think so. There's nowhere in the Bible. It's probably like for a, a kid's party. All right. We don't even show that. All right. We got sidetracked by the, the, the computer. I was grabbing All right. So, but the thing about no, the thing about Jonah, just, just track with me. All right. Bring it in, y'all. Was that he, get this, he thought Nineveh was beyond him. He thought Nineveh was even beyond God. So Jonah decided to be judge and jury and does, he decides, hey, I'm not going to go there. They're, they're, they're not good enough. They don't deserve to be forgiven. And he chooses his own stubbornness, his own selfishness, his own pride over God's call of obedience to him. And at the end of the story, he's still being a crybaby. You know, after he goes to Nineveh and like, you know, God basically pours his grace out on him, he's still like whining. And the thing about Jonah was, you know, like I said, he chose to be stubborn. He chose to do his path and follow his path for the longest time instead of just taking those steps of obedience that God laid out for him. And I think in many ways all of us can relate to that. I know for myself, I can definitely relate to Jonah on being stubborn when it comes to following God's plan. Now, if uh, I know I've shared kind of my testimony of how God has called me into what I'm doing, called me into ministry, uh, and there really was a lot of pride and selfishness and stubbornness in my own story. I, and I mean, I'll kind of give you just the Cliff Notes version of it right quick, but, you know, I knew God had called me to something, but I just said, like, hey, God, you know, I'll get around to that whenever I want to get around to. And, and God used different circumstances, uh, different interactions, different people he put in my path to where God was basically saying, no, you're going to do it whenever I tell you to do it, and that's right now. You know, seven years ago, uh, if I hadn't actually been obedient to God's calling on my life to step away from a job that I was comfortable in, a job where I was like, hey, make a good career out of this, make good money, you know, build up to this. I had all these plans. But they weren't God's plans. They were my plans. But the thing was, is God said, no, you trust me. I'm calling you to this step of obedience. And surrendering to God is so much better than being stubborn and being stuck in my pride. You see, I could have just been stubborn. I could have just said, you know what, God, I'm never going to get around to that. But thankfully, God is patient and God is a God of second chances. So are you being stubborn about being obedient to God yourself? Maybe you're like Jonah. You think certain people don't deserve God's grace or forgiveness. 
maybe you think, hey, you might know, you may have the, the Spirit of God maybe tugging at your heart to do something. The Spirit of God may be tugging at your heart to share the gospel with somebody. The Spirit of God may be tugging at your heart to invite somebody to come here and come to church. And you're just like, mm, no, I'm not going to talk to that person. You know what they've done, God? They're, they're, I'm not going to go talk to them. But the thing is, is that God has called us to go. God has called us to take that step of obedience. As I've said before, the gospel came to you because it's going to somebody else. So you're just going to sit on top of it? Because that's what we like to do. Sometimes we like to think, hey, salvation stops with me. Getting saved stopped with me. You know, or, or maybe you think, hey, well, there's certain people I want to see be Christians. There's certain people I'd like to see get saved. But that other person, no, I'm not going to talk to them about Christ. They're mean. They're rude. They're, 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 they've hurt me. They've done something to somebody I care about. And we get so caught up in our own stubbornness and our own pride. And we don't see them as somebody that Christ gave his life for. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've sat there and you're being stubborn about taking that step of obedience. So surrender is always better than, than stubbornness. And then the last thing is this, is make the most of the second chances. I started out at the beginning. God is a God of second chances. He's a God of second chances. And it even says so here in Jonah. Jonah chapter 3 at the beginning, it says this. Verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Get this, I got on the screen. Actually. A second time. A second time. God had me a second chance. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. Jonah got up, went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. So he finally chose obedience. He finally chose to follow and do what God had told him to do. And you see, God is that, that's of his character. He's a God of second chances. From the beginning of time, he's always been about giving his people second chances. See, if God wasn't a God of second chances, he never would have sent Christ. You know, whenever we sin, whenever Adam and, them, Adam and Eve sinned in the beginning, he could have just been like, well, you screwed it up, guys. Good luck and just walked off. But God was a God of second chances. And even in the beginning, he had a plan to rescue. Even in the beginning, he had a plan to save and to redeem. All throughout Scripture, we see God giving people second chances. One that I really love in the New Testament is the story of Peter. Now you say, well, what about Peter? You see, Peter, you know, he was with Christ. He was one of his followers. He'd been with him for all these times. And we get to the day that Jesus goes to the cross. And what does Peter do? Does anybody remember what Peter does right before Jesus dies? He denies him three times, right? I, I don't know the guy. I've never seen this dude. And, you know, then it says that he saw Jesus and he wept. And Peter, at that point, was like, man, I've screwed up. And Peter was like, you know what, I'm too far gone, I've messed up. How could Jesus forgive me? Why would Jesus want me back? And what's funny, something that people forget, what Peter did was Peter went back to what he knew. What do you mean? Well, after Jesus goes to the cross, after his resurrection, it says that Peter was out on the Sea of Galilee fishing. And Jesus comes and finds him. So Peter has said, you know what, I can't do this ministry thing. I can't go and preach this gospel. I'll just go back to fishing. I'm comfortable with that. I'm familiar with that. But Jesus comes and seeks him out, and Jesus says to him, Hey, Peter, go feed my sheep. Which basically is Jesus saying, Hey, go and proclaim what I've done. Go and take the gospel to other people. And then in the book of Acts, we see Peter do just that. He preaches the first Christian sermon. 3,000 people are saved and baptized. Because Jesus is a God of second chances. He redeemed Peter. He gave him that second chance. And I'm thankful in my own life that God has given me a second chance. Because I would not be here today doing what I'm doing 
I would not be serving as your youth pastor if it not be for the second chances of God. If God had just left me where I would, I'd probably be doing things my own way. I might be successful according to the world's standards, caught up in some kind of job, making money or whatever it may be. Oh, well, I've succeeded. And I got caught up in the, the rat race of life. But if God had called me out, God said, no, I'm calling you to something greater. And that's what I really feel the Lord did is God gave me that second chance. And I'm so glad that God did give me that second chance. And I've said this before, and I'll say my biggest regret is that I didn't obey immediately. That I kind of, you know, shuffled my feet and I kind of did my own thing for a while. And that's my challenge for you is what step of obedience, if there is something God's calling you out to, take that step of obedience and don't delay. Don't just try and play and say, well, I'll get around to it whenever I feel like it. Well, when all the ducks are in a row, then, then God, I'll do what you call me to do. Then I'll live my faith out. Then I'll be all in for Jesus. Then I'll share the gospel with my friends. Then I'll invite friends to church. Then I'll be serious about studying scripture. And, and I bet, now I can't be 100% certain on this, but I bet you in heaven, if when we get to heaven in the end, if you were to ask Jonah if he had any regrets, he'd probably say the same thing. He'd probably say, hey, I wish I hadn't been so stubborn. And I had obeyed God's call on my life immediately. He'd probably say something along those lines. And maybe that's you. Maybe you've ignored God's call in your life. Maybe you'd go all in on for him. Maybe you say, hey, I'm a Christian, but just ignore. I just kind of get stubborn and say, I got, I got my plans, and I'm just going to put you over here. Hey, I don't really want to go in for you, Jesus. I'll just kind of wait somewhere in the middle. Or maybe to live on mission and say, hey, I'm going to live intentionally and be about sharing the gospel. Or to get serious about your faith where you're not okay with mediocre. Where you're not okay with just saying, well, I'll just kind of float somewhere in the middle and just kind of blend in. You know, I don't really want people to know that I love Christ. I don't really want to stand out and live a life different from my friends, live a life that shows and shares Jesus with those around me. Maybe you kind of say, hey, God, nah, I'm going to stiff army on all that. You see, God's given you a second chance today. With each beat of your heart and each breath that you take is a second chance that God's given you to go all in. Because he went all in for us, didn't he? Jesus went all in. He didn't lay back. He didn't halfway go to the cross. He didn't halfway give his life up. He went all in for us. So the least we can do is be all in for him. Maybe there's a step of obedience you need to take. As a believer, if you know Jesus, maybe that's you. Or maybe that stubbornness, maybe that way in which you've ignored God comes at the beginning and you've been stubborn and you've just continually ignored him and ignored his call to repent and be saved. To be saved from your sin. You say, yeah, I don't want to do this whole period. I'll go to church, but as far as like actually surrendering my life to Jesus, actually repenting of my sin and giving Jesus the keys to my life, nah, nah, that, that's, nah I ain't going to do that. You might think you got too many problems. Hey, let me get my act together. You might think, I'll get saved another day. You know, I'm, I don't want to do it right now. I'd rather do this right now and then get around to the whole Jesus thing whenever I'm older. You see, the reality is that right now is your second chance. Today is the second chance. Here tonight is the second chance. You don't know if a third chance or any other chance is going to come. And that step of obedience that God's calling you to today is to trust in Him. To repent of your sin, to put faith and trust in Christ. Because that's what we need. all need. We all need someone to save us. We all know. We all have this, I think, even unbelievers, people that are far from God know, man, there's something wrong. Something's messed up in this world. And they try to fix it with all kinds of different things. 
They think, man, if I just fix myself up, some self-help books, get on some medication, pop a few pills, drink a little alcohol, smoke a little weed, do whatever they may find to fill that gap in their life. And they think, you know what? That's, but the thing is, is that brokenness is still going to be there. They might be able to numb it. They might be able to dull it for a little while. But that brokenness and that, 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 that thing that they're looking for can't be filled with something else. It can only be made, it can only be made whole by trusting in Christ. Returning from saying, God, my ways, my system, my things aren't working. Christ, I'm turning towards you and trusting in you. I'm giving you keys to the car. You're calling the shots. You're the Lord of my life, and I'm following you. And if that's you tonight, you've never done that. Like I do every Wednesday when we're in here, man, just come talk to me. I would love, I would love to tell you what it means to become a follower of Jesus. To become a disciple and to grow in him, to know what it means to follow after him. But maybe for many of you, it's just, hey, I'm just stubborn. I'm a Christian. But I'm kind of like Jonah. I know God, but I'm just stubborn and say, God, I don't want to do that. And my encouragement and my prayer for you tonight is just lay that down, lay down that pride, that arrogance, and submit and surrender. Don't delay. Because God's plans are always going to be greater than yours. I know that may sound kind of weird to some of y'all, but it's the truth. You see, sometimes we kind of formulate our own plans. We say, well, God, I got this plan, this plan. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here. I'm going to study this. I'm going to go live there. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And then we like say, hey, Jesus, I'll just chunk you into somewhere and you kind of figure it out in the middle. But Jesus say, uh-uh, that ain't how it works again. You, you give me keys to the car and I'll give you the plans and you, you choose and you obey me because my plans are better. Maybe that's what you need to do tonight. Let me pray for us. Well, God, I pray that we would...